The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. It's good on you, huh? We're doing good this morning. All right, all right. Hey, if you have your Bible, let's open it up. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, looking at the Lord's Prayer. And I want to read that text for us this morning before we get started, and then we'll say a word of prayer. So if you'll open it up there, we're going to be in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let your name be honored and seen for all it is this morning. Let the words spoken here speed the coming of your kingdom and your will above our own. And Father, we come to you and trust you to meet all of our daily physical needs to help us live as you would have us live in this place and time. And Father, we come to you for grace, the grace we need to cover all of our own sins and give us the ability to forgive those that have sinned against us. Father, lead us into good, bright days and protect us from the enemy. It's in your name I pray, amen. Amen. So it's the first week of 2019. And you know, it's, it's funny because the new year, I'm, a, I'm an introvert by nature. Most of you know that if you've seen me in the lobby. And uh, I'm, an, I'm an introvert by nature. And I, I enjoy the new year because there's a level of natural introspection that comes with the new year. Um, like, so I don't know that time, it really, our actions don't really matter anymore on January 1st than they do on March 25th or June 23rd or in November. But something about the turning of the page on January 1st causes us to kind of pause and reflect on how we're spending our days, doesn't it? It gives us this awareness that time is passing. It gives us this awareness that the way we spend our hours turns into the way we spend our days, and the way we spend our days turns into the way we're spending our years, and so we begin to reflect on how we're spending our time, and many of us start making these things called resolutions, right? Like, I'm going to change this. It's seven days, six days into the new year. Probably several of our resolutions have already failed by now. Um, But why do we do that? It's because we we desire something new. We desire something to change. But I've sat through a lot of New Year's sermons. I've been in church for 20 plus years now. I've sat through a lot of sermons on the first week. And and I've often heard things like, you know, here's how to resolve to reset your priorities. Or here's how you can change and and reset in the new year. And those those are good and right things. But my experience has been that the more I set out to do that, March always comes. (laughs) Like eventually March is just there and you're just living again and you've forgotten. And so I really think what we need this morning is not to buckle down and pull up our bootstraps to try to resolve to change something. What we need to do is come to Jesus this morning. 
lay ourselves at his feet and say, Jesus, what are you resolved about? Like, what are the things that you're resolved about? When you lived and spent 33 years on planet Earth, what did you center your heart around? When the new year came for you, what were the things that you were set out upon? And then we need to come daily, Romans 12, transforming our minds through daily, daily coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, give me your perspective. Jesus, help me to see the things you were resolved about. And that's the path to godliness, more so than I resolve in and of myself. And so as I was thinking and praying, okay, it's a, it's a one-off sermon, meaning we're not in any, tip, any book right now walking. What, what? There's one te- passage that the Lord laid on my heart where he said, look, here's a nugget in the Bible where Jesus' priorities, like the heartbeat of Jesus is laid before us clearly, and we can look at it and say, this is the, when God became man and spent time on earth. These are the things that he was about. These are the things that were really important to him. And in the Lord's Prayer, we see that. So when I was 23 years old, my life radically changed forever. It will never be the same. You want to know why? Because at 23 years old, I discovered the avocado. (laughs) I had foolishly spent 23 years of life seeing the avocado, its relatively unpleasant green hue, its apparently mushy and bland texture, And I looked at it and I said, I don't want anything to do with the avocado. I'm going to leave it over there. It's going to stay off all of my plates of food. But then through the gateway food of guacamole, (laughs) I discovered the avocado, surprisingly rich in complex flavors with a texture that tantalized my virgin buds. And I will tell you this much. Since that day, there has ne'er been a meal where avocado was available that I have not partaken with great pleasure in the avocado. See, I think many of us have allowed the Lord's Prayer to sit off of our plate. We've looked at it and thought, you know, it seems pretty simple. Like I can read it in about 15 seconds, and then I'm done. Not really realizing that within this prayer, there is a gold mine and wealth of wisdom that can help us realign and shape our priorities and align our hearts with God's. And so I'm excited to look at it this morning because I've been enriched by looking at it this week. And I hope that as we enter into the new year, this will help us to really think and go, Jesus came to earth and he wanted to start this mission. He wanted to start this new movement called Christianity. And his disciples came to him wanting to know how to pray And he said, this is how you should pray. Like, think about it. God himself wanted us to know how to relate to him, wanted us to know how to talk to him, wanted us to know what God wanted to be said to him so that he could respond and speak his truth into our lives. And he gave us a poem. He gave us a short, easy to memorize prayer that is rich and full and can be meditated on in order to do all of these things. So I'm excited to think about that this morning. So I wanna look at four things before we actually get into the prayer. that the Lord's Prayer is. And uh, these are gonna be on the screen. First, the Lord's Prayer is amazing because the Lord's Prayer is the heartbeat of the kingdom movement Jesus came to start. We just talked about it a little bit, but this is where Jesus gives us his worldview. This is where Jesus gives us his mission statement. This is where Jesus shows us the things that his heart beat for. He's saying, you wanna know what I value, what I came to accomplish. You wanna feel the same things I feel. Meditate on and use this prayer daily. Secondly, the Lord's Prayer is a window into Jesus' own prayer life. So all throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see this pattern in his life of public ministry pouring out 
To the point of exhaustion, the scriptures literally tell us at times that Jesus gets physically tired and he escapes and he goes up into the hills. He goes into these remote places and often he prays and he spends the whole night praying. Have you ever thought, wouldn't it be cool to just be able to know what Jesus was praying? Like the son of God, eternal in the Trinity, communing as a man with his father. Wouldn't it be incredible to just know the things he prays? Well, we see it. The Lord's prayer is telling us, it's giving us an outline of the way Jesus refueled of the way Jesus approached the Father, of the things and the types of things that Jesus said to God. They're here in the Lord's Prayer. Thirdly, this prayer is a means of cultivating the habit of proactive prayer. Here's what I mean by that. Most of us, most of the time, myself included, are reactive prayers. We pray reactively, and here's what I mean by that. When life is going good, when it's smooth sailing, when the skies are blue, our prayers are pretty short and pretty infrequent, right? Like life is good. I feel pretty in control. Everything's feeling cushy. We just, prayer just kind of tends to start to get into the backseat of life. We pray these shotgun prayers like, Lord, help me find a parking spot, please. Lord, <laughs> tell this person to speed up. He's in the left lane. Like most of our prayers are those kind of prayers when life is good. But when life starts getting bad and hard and and things aren't as cushy. All of a sudden, we're on our knees before the Lord. Lord, help, help, help. Uh, Anne Lamott, the author Anne Lamott, has a, prayer, has a quote where she says, most of my prayer life can be summed up like this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help me, help me, help me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She said, that's my prayer life most of the time. That's the way I pray. That's reactive praying. And I can stand before you and say, that's my prayer life a lot of the time. And so the Lord's prayer helps usher us, pull us into something greater, something deeper, something better, something proactive where we're forcing ourselves to pray things that are not dictated by our circumstances or our moods, but by the truth of God's word and the things he would have us focus our hearts on. Lastly, the Lord's prayer is a list of things Jesus knew we would need to say to God and ourselves daily to keep our perspective aligned to God's. See, Jesus knew, Jesus was a smart guy. Jesus knew that the things he was asking us to enter into and in following him, that taking up our cross and following him daily, that forsaking ourselves and serving others, these are hard counterintuitive things. This is a lifestyle that's gonna require supernatural assistance through the Holy Spirit and centering our hearts on God's word. And so Jesus said, here's a list of things to help you center your heart daily, to remind your heart, to pull your heart away from the gravity of the world and towards the gravity of the spirit to say, center your heart on these things daily. And so Jesus gave us a list and it's all here in this prayer. So let's look at the prayer together. We'll put it up on the screen here and we'll read it together. It's made up of an address followed by two sections of three petitions each. So let's read this together. You read it out loud with me, it's on the screen. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Awesome. So there's a few things I want us to see here in this first. Um, first, I want us to see that this is a communal prayer. This is, so, so often when I approach the Lord and the few times that I do use this prayer, I'm praying it like this. My Father who's in heaven, give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. Lead me. 
deliver me. It's okay to pray like that, but that's, I want us to notice that's not how Jesus told us to pray. But it's interesting because if you look just ahead in verse six, Jesus actually says, when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray in secret, and your Father will reward you. So it can't, Jesus can't mean this. He doesn't mean that we're always praying with other people. He doesn't mean that it's communal in the sense that I never pray alone. He's saying this, the posture of your heart when it's centered through my word is going to be outward. You're, you, can't, you won't be able to just pray for your bread because you'll be so aware of the needs of the community around you that when you think about your own need for your prayer, for your own bread, you're also gonna have in mind the people around you that need bread. You don't just pray for your forgiveness because you're recognizing there's people around you that need forgiveness. You don't just pray for your deliverance because you're seeing people around you in your church community walking through trials and you're praying for them. This is the way Jesus wants our hearts to be aligned. It's an outward focus in prayer. I also want us to notice that there's a distinction in these two sections. Can you switch the sides here, Laura? The first section, the first three petitions are all about God. Your, 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 your name, your kingdom, your will. Jesus wants us to start by centering our heart on the adoration of God and on surrender to God. That's where we start. And then once we've done that, we can move into the second section, which is all me and us. Us, us, us. Give us today. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's an interesting, uh, some scholars have noted this pattern actually aligns with another place where Jesus boils his entire ministry and mission down. It's in Matthew 22. I want to read it for us. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it quickly. It says this in Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Phar silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So there's two religious groups, and they're trying to trap Jesus, basically. They're trying to ask him a question he can't answer, so he looks bad. One of them an expert in the law tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang upon these two commandments. So there are 613 laws in the Old Testament given to the Jewish people to help them live a distinct life that brings glory to God so that other nations will be able to look and then say, that's God's people. And these, these Pharisees, these religious people come to Jesus, they say, Jesus, what's the most important one out of those 613? Trying to trap him. Jesus is the brilliant man that he is, says, well, actually, there's one, but it's got two parts. And it's not like a 1A, 1B. It's like there's two most important commandments. They're both equally important. And it's love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. They're so linked that they can't be separated. It's so like Jesus, right? It's almost like he knew what he was doing and knew what he was saying, that in these two areas where he's boiling down his ministry, he's saying the same thing. In his prayer, he's saying, honor God, love God, submit to God, surrender to God. Love other people, think about other people, pray for other people. Love God, love people in both of these places. It's almost like he knew what he was doing. Okay, so let's walk through this prayer together and highlight a few things. The prayer starts here. Jesus starts with an address, our Father in heaven. Every word in this prayer matters. Jesus is speaking with an economy. And apparently he knew that as followers and children, we need to be reminded who we're praying to and how we're supposed to relate to him every time we pray. Could have started this prayer a lot of ways. 
Lord, God. But most, here's, here's, most of Jesus, and if you read through the Gospels, most of the time when he addresses God, he's referring to him as Father. Jesus wants us to relate to God as a father. He wants us to come to God knowing that we already have his attention, we already have his favor, we already have his love, that he can protect us, that he can provide for us, that he's aware of our needs. That's where the prayer starts. And Jesus in this text gives us two ways, I believe, that we can know that we're not praying to God like a father. And he lists them right before. In verse five, he says this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So good Jews in this day, the good religious Jews prayed, they had a ritual of praying three times a day. They'd pray in the morning, they'd pray in the afternoon, and they'd pray in the evening. Now the morning and evening, you're praying at home. But apparently this custom had arisen where they would go to the synagogue for their noon prayer and the good religious Jews, they'd wanna be seen by everybody, so they'd find the highest place they could where they could be seen by everybody and start praying. And Jesus is saying, that kind of prayer reveals that you're not praying to God like a father. You know why? Because you're praying for the approval of men. You're praying to impress men. And what does that reveal? It reveals that you don't recognize that you already have the approval of the only person that matters. You already have the approval of the father. You already are a child. You don't need to earn it. So when we pray to impress men, we are revealing that we aren't relating to God as a father. He continues, verse seven. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says, here's the second group of people that don't recognize and, and are revealing that they don't understand God's their father. And it's these people that when they come to God, they pray these really, really long, ornate prayers. They just babble on and on. And Jesus says, why are they doing that? Why, why are they doing that? It's, they're revealing that they don't recognize that God is their father who already knows what they need. But more than that, they already have his attention. They don't have to earn it. See, so often we use prayer like a sales pitch to God. Like, God, if I pray the right way or if I go long enough, maybe you'll notice me and then maybe you'll start owing me something because I've earned it by praying long enough that you're gonna recognize my needs. So when you pray these long prayers to God, now, when you pray like that, you're rec revealing that you don't recognize that God's already listening. He's already attentive. He already knows what you need. He's already seeking to give you what you really need. Tim Keller says it this way. God gives you everything you need and everything you would ask for if you knew everything he already knows. So when God withholds things that we think are good, he's withholding them because he knows there's something better. So Jesus says, pray to me like a father. Some of us, this is the main thing we need to hear this morning. You are a child of God. You are bought by the blood of Jesus. When you come to him, he's listening. You don't have to repeat yourself over and over and over and over again to get his attention. Trust that he's listening, that he's your father, that he loves you. And some of us in this room had, you know, that's a, that's a hard association because maybe your earthly father wasn't the best. Maybe that's a hard association. I think it's important for us to know. He says, father in heaven. This is a heavenly father. This is better than any father we've had. If your father totally wrecked you and messed up your life, this is not the kind of God that Jesus is talking about. It's not the kind of father. This is a perfect father. He continues on, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is a, not a word that we use a lot today, right? It's not like the only place I could think of that we say it at all is in Halloween. That's the same root word. 
Um, but we don't use hallowed. So what, is, what does hallowed mean? It means to be honored. It means to be revered. It means to be honestly like spoken with fear and reverence. It means to have a, to guard, when something's hallowed, we guard its reputation. Like think of like a corporation where the boss is like way above everybody else and there's so much fear of the, there's so much awe of the boss and he's this man that seems to walk above it all. It's like, you don't even say his name in the negative context, right? Like be careful how you talk about so-and-so. This is, we're supposed to revere God's name. We are supposed to honor it. Um, we are supposed to guard its reputation. We are supposed to work towards restoring God's reputation in the world. Think of it this way. In, a, in the 1970s, uh, just a few years before I was born, um, there was a set of movies that came out that created their own new category, their own new genre and movie. They were these incredible movies that captivated the imagination of audiences, right? Like people couldn't get enough. People were buying tickets over and over and over again. I'm talking about Star Wars. You're welcome. And they were amazing, right? Like anyone in the room that was old enough to actually have been able to buy a movie ticket and go back then, we honor you. And we want you, to, we want you to know that we wish we could have experienced it then and there with you. Like that was an incredible thing you got to be a part of. But then, in the early 2000s, George Lucas gets this funny idea to make some more movies. And they are these weird, digital, floppy-eared characters that speak in languages no one ever wants to hear again. And it just totally defiles the face of all that Star Wars stood for, with just the poor delivery, the poor acting, the poor storylines across the board, just really, really bad. But then, in 2015, J.J. Abrams comes along, and the Force awakens, and they deliver an above-average movie. That's a little window into what we're talking about here. Jesus is saying God's reputation has been maligned on this planet. He created a perfect world where his glory was evident, where everyone just knew God is good, like we just sang. But then sin came and defiled things and ruined things and maligned God's reputation and tore this world's view of God down. And now Jesus is saying, hallowed be your name. I'm gonna be a part. We are going to be a part of restoring God's good name through the lifestyles and the words and the love and the dignity that Jesus, through his spirit, enables us as grace-forgiven sinners to live. We are a part of the restoration of the name of Yahweh. That's hallowed be God's name. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. That's why he starts his prayer there. It all starts with that. He continues on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the hardest part of the prayer. To pray your will be done is to say this to Jesus in the most, most meaningful way possible. I trust you. I trust you. See Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He literally prays this. It's recorded for us right before his death, before he's going to the cross, laying down his life, being separated from the Father, wearing the sins of the world upon his back. He says, Father, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. Say to God, not my will, but your will be done, is incredibly 
difficult, and it's a lesson we learn through years and years and years, but it's the posture Jesus is calling us into. I can, I can be honest and, and say uh, um, 2018 was one of the hardest years of my life, and uh, most of you know, but I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. I'm fine. I don't, you don't need to write cards or everything is, I just, this is part of sharing this for me is um, I was di- diagnosed with an autoimmune disease in 2018 and it was hard and it, there was about six months of not knowing what's going on and then about six months of figuring it out and now we're in the tail end of getting treatment and getting healthy again. But uh, that was a year where I wrestled with this because I thought to myself, God, how can this be your will? Like 34 years of perfect health, no real issues, and then all of a sudden, multiple trips to the hospital, not knowing what's going on, wrestling with how you can be good in this. And I had to stare into darkness, into suffering, and say, can I say, not, my will is health. My will is my life going well and not being in physical pain. My will, but th- God, it seems like you're calling me into something else right now. You're leading me into a different season. So I had to learn to say, and I'm learning to say, your will be done in this, not my will. And if you're gonna use this for a reason, then I'm, help me, help me get there. Help me get there with you where I want this for me so that I can see your glory and your goodness flowing out of me. And I can say that I can only say that by the grace of God. This is all God's grace working in my life through suffering. But we all need to learn to say this. In my work, in my career, I have my ideas of what is good for me, but not my will, your will. In my relationships, in my marriage, with my kids, with my friends, I have my ideas of what's good, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will. In my health, I have my ideas of what's good, but nevertheless, your will. Jesus very intentionally oriented his heart and wants us to orient our hearts to childlike trust in the Father, that even the things that don't make sense to us, he's working out good. And on the other side of eternity, we will look back and say, thank you for that. Thank you. And I believe that. And Jesus believed that and he modeled it. Uh, the second section here, as we move into it, uh, Jesus gives us three petitions. And because of time, I will move quickly, so don't be too scared. Um, we'll move through these pretty quickly, but uh, I wanna highlight one big thought about each of them. First, we're told to ask for our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. One implication we might easily miss here um, that's pretty simple and obvious is that he's saying daily, which means this, we're praying daily. We can't ask for our daily bread if we're not praying every day. We can't ask for our daily bread if we aren't praying every day. This prayer should humble us because most of us in this room, if not all of us, know where this next month or year's food is coming from, at least the next week. And and Jesus is saying this spiritually, I want you to cultivate and work towards having the mentality of a spiritual beggar. I want you to recognize that everything you have, no matter how secure your bank account looks, everything you have in life is coming from my provision. Every breath you breathe, every beat of your heart, and every bite of food on your plate is a daily gift, moment by moment, by my grace, and I am your security. I am the one providing these things. And Jesus wants us to live reminding ourselves that we are sustained by God's grace, moment by moment, and if he stopped making our heart be right now, it would stop. It's all grace, he's giving it moment by moment. Cultivate the mentality of a spiritual beggar in your life. Then Jesus prays, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's a lot we could say here. Each one of these statements could be a sermon in and of itself, but 
I wanna highlight, what is Christian forgiveness? What is Christian forgiveness? Because it's incredibly important. Jesus chose to put it in the prayer where we're reminding ourselves of things that we need to be reminded of. This is what Christian forgiveness is. Christian forgiveness is giving up my right to retaliate or get even because Jesus gave up his right for me on the cross. Um, Christian forgiveness, this is hard. It, It does not always equal reconciliation. It doesn't always mean your friendship is reconciled and made perfect again. Here's why, because that requires two people coming together in humility, saying, I was wrong from their, my heart. This is how I was wrong. I'm sorry I grieved you. I recognize the fullness of how I grieved you. I repent before you and the Lord, and I wanna seek restoration meaningfully, and I desire this relationship meaningfully. It takes two people coming together, and sometimes that's just not possible. Sometimes two people aren't there. But Jesus is saying, as far as it depends on you, you give up your right to seek retaliation. You give up your right to seek revenge. You give up your right to see that other person hurt the way they hurt you. Why? Because that's exactly what I did for you on the cross. Are you having a hard time forgiving someone in this room? What you need to do is get more in touch with the great grace God has given you in Christ and how desperately you need forgiveness and just how much forgiveness you have. If you are having trouble forgiving someone, it means you are out of touch with how forgiven you are. Jesus always ties our forgiveness before God to our ability to forgive. Why is that? He says it in this prayer. He's not gonna say, ask for forgiveness without saying, also forgive. He just never does it. Because a forgiven heart is a forgiving heart. Period. Always. A heart that recognizes how forgiven it is. Not perfectly, like we're not perfect in anything, but with trajectory is moving towards forgiveness and away from resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. That's the trajectory of the Christian's heart. And Jesus ends his prayer this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, Lead us not into temptation. Uh, As I studied, I found out that this word could also be translated, lead us not into testing. Lead us not into a trial. Um, And here's the reality that's, that's, that's a hard reality. There are times and seasons in our lives for all of us where the Lord tests our faith in him. Why? In order to strengthen it, in order to build it up, in order to reveal where it's weak. There are times and seasons where the Lord leads us into tests. Lest you think I'm making this unfortunate truth up, I wanna read a few verses. James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Beloved, do not be surprised, James 4.12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Proverbs 17.3, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Genesis 22.1, and this whole chapter is an incredible exposition on God's testing of Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. Now, some encouragement after hearing all that. You might hear that and you go, oh, I hope I don't fail the test. (laughs) 
Like when God brings me, like I don't want to fail. I don't, I don't want to miss the mark. I don't, let me set you free this morning. You will, you have. That's the whole point of Christianity. <laughs> we failed. When God brought the test into our life, we didn't meet the mark. We chose our own way over his. We've done it time and time again. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus came to pass the test on our behalf. And he did, he was perfect. He was tested in the wilderness for 40 days by Satan himself and he stood the test. He was tested on the cross and he stayed and died for you and me. Jesus is the one who passes our tests. Jesus is the one when the day of trial comes who stands in our place, taking the weight of our sin upon himself. We fail, Jesus does not. And here's the beautiful thing. In this prayer, Jesus sets us free to say, God, he's telling us how to pray. He's saying, pray like this. And he's saying, ask God not to bring those times into your life. Lead us not into testing. Lead us not into trial. God, bring good days into my life. God, lead me into days where the sun is shining. God, I want to experience your goodness in the land of the living. Jesus is inviting us and telling us, instructing us, pray for good days. But when the test comes, deliver us from the evil one. When the day of trial comes, when the day of testing comes, Jesus, I fall upon you. Deliver me from the evil one. I can guarantee you this. When you get serious about following Jesus, when you get really serious about seeing his glory manifested through your life, the enemy is coming. Testing is coming. The enemy does not like Christians who are serious about spreading the glory of God. And he will try to take you down. And Jesus says, end like this. God, I'm serious about this. Deliver me from the enemy. Deliver me from the evil one. And there was a, that's the prayer as Jesus prayed it. Years later in church history, the, the ending was added on by the church fathers. For thine is the kingdom, thine is the glory forever. Amen. Use this prayer this year to orient your heart daily to be resolved to be resolved daily, to love and cherish and value the things that Jesus himself valued, his kingdom, his will, daily bread, forgiving and forgiveness, deliverance from trials. These are the things Jesus told us to pray for. Let's use it, let me pray. Father, we surrender to you. Let your name be holy. Let your reputation be guarded by us. Let us be a part of spreading your good name throughout Burbank and Los Angeles and the world. Let your kingdom come in Story City Church. Let your will be done in Story City Church. God, we trust you for all of our needs this year. For our daily needs, we are spiritual beggars before you. We acknowledge that you provide. God, we thank you for the gift for the forgiveness we have through your son and we pray that you would help us to learn more and more to extend that forgiveness out to people who have hurt and wounded us god we pray that you would lead us into good days we pray that you would lead us into the best days we've ever known god don't lead us into trial but when it comes god be the one who delivers us be the one who protects us from the enemy be the one who lifts us high above it 
We trust in you for all of this. Yours is the glory.